The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. We are going to finish up our study of the book of Esther. It's been seven weeks. It's been really incredible to see uh, just topically how the book of Esther has so much to teach us. This actually then concludes an even longer run, one that went all the way back to the first week of June, 2018, where we started Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Uh, as far as where we're going next, there's, there's some parts of me that want to emphasize prayer. There's, there's some ideas of a New Testament book, uh, and we'll let you know in the next few weeks what that's going to be. But today, it's, it's so fitting because we're going to talk about celebration and not just coming together to celebrate something, specifically coming together to celebrate what God has done, uh, to remember his great works and how exciting that is to be able to look back and see. Uh, it's really cool because if you know any kind of Jewish history here in just a few weeks on March the 20th and 21st, there are going to be hundreds of thousands of practicing Jews that celebrate Purim. It's a festival that they have been celebrating for 2,400 years. It's two days where they will gather with family and in synagogues. They'll share festive meals. They'll give gift baskets to one another. They will give to the poor. It's, it's a great time where they always read the book of Esther. And they do this because it's from the book of Esther that we have this whole festival. It's, it's laid out in the ninth chapter. It's called Purim. And what it is, is the celebration of the day that God saved his people from annihilation. The day where because of the king's edict, their mourning was turned into joy. Their entire people group was saved because of God's provision and protection, because of the faithfulness of Esther and Mordecai. It's an amazing celebration. It's an amazing story that they still celebrate to this day. And it's one that we can find in Esther chapter nine. So if you will, we're gonna read quite a few verses from that chapter. Let's jump in with verse one, verses one through three. It says, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. Let's pause there just real quick. If you recall, King Xerxes had allowed Haman, the villain, to send out an edict saying that on this 13th day of the 12th month, every Jew in the entire kingdom of Persia was to be killed. That was the first edict that went out. But after Haman was disposed and Esther kind of got her day and Mordecai was elevated to number two, then, then Mordecai was allowed to send out a second edict. You couldn't erase the first one because an edict of the king was in stone. But a new edict was sent out saying that the Jews could band together. They could fight back. They, they could do whatever they needed to do to stand their ground. And if anyone was unwise enough to come after them, they could plunder those that they killed. They, they could stand up for themselves. They could take property. There was going to be quite a battle on this 13th day of the 12th month. So let's pick back up. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes, 127 provinces, to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. 
Let's stop there for just a second. What were they afraid of? Well, we know that even in a conservative estimate, there were millions of Jews. And to wipe out a nation that large would have taken a a great force. But the second edict said they could band together. So you have millions of people ready to fight against those that aren't super excited anymore to come after them. The the whole Persian empire kind of been turned upside down by Mordecai being exalted to number two. This new edict went out. No one really knew for sure what to do. Look at verse three. They they had backing as well. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satarps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. All those with power, all of those with authority, some of those with soldiers said, we know which side of this battle to get on. And we'll jump on Mordecai's team, the the Jewish side. We'll make sure and fight for them because we see the writing on the wall. What a difference from 11 months ago when the edict initially went out. There was weeping and mourning and wailing as the Jews had no hope. Just 11 months later, how God worked through Esther to save his people. It's such a powerful story. And I want us to make sure we do not forget this. The hand of God moving through his people to provide and protect Jumping down to verse 16, 16 through 18. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 enemies, 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th day, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, the main capital city, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th day. And then on the 15th, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. So we're going to see here in just a moment that Mordecai makes these days sacred. These days are to be remembered. The days where God delivered his people. They're days to be remembered. And it's going to be the 13th, the 14th, the 15th day. And and all that's happening here is Mordecai, if you believe he's the author, is explaining why these days in particular were picked. The power that came to be, the moment of deliverance. It's really kind of cool. Let's look at verses 20 through 23. It says, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far to have these days celebrated annually, the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe these days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they'd begun doing what Mordecai had written to them. How amazing. Now, there's a few more verses in the book of Esther. But we see there the command, the command of Mordecai, but through scripture for God's people to remember, to celebrate. There's a particularly popular food that's used during Purim, this this celebration. They're called Hamantashans. They're cookies, little triangle cookies named Hamantashan. Literally, Haman's cookie. I think it's hilarious that over 2,000 years later, people gather together to celebrate 
and eat cookies named after the villain that God vanquished. It's just cool to see how God's people have a little bit of a sense of humor. But this idea of feasting and celebration, even this idea of feasting and celebration commanded by God is, is not unique here just to the book of Esther. It's really all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New you have festivals and you have days that are to be celebrated. God says, do not forget. Do not forget what I've done because I've done some amazing stuff. And as we go through our lives annually, I want you to remember the, one of the biggest ones is the Passover. It's a festival to remember the night where the angel of death passed over the doorposts of those in Egypt who had put the blood of the lamb above their post, the angel of death passes over and they're to celebrate every year on that day to remember how God saved his people. There's an offering of first fruits that's to take place every year in September. It's right as the harvest is coming in. The people of God are called to celebrate on that day and to bring in the first portion of their harvest. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's where we get the biblical idea of a tithe. Before God gives the rest of it, you're supposed to take the first portion and give it back to him to say, thank you, Lord, for providing. Thank you, Lord, for giving us sustenance and food on our table. And God says, I want you to celebrate me. I want you to remember that I'm the one that causes the crops to grow every single year. There's the Feast of Trumpets. You find it in Numbers chapter 29, verse one. It's the first day of October in our calendar. It's kind of towards the end of the harvest. After God's brought in everything, on this day, his people are to blast trumpets in celebration of what? How good God is. And the trumpets don't just signify how good God is. The trumpets signify a very specific month in the Jewish calendar. It's our October, but it's one where they have two huge celebrations, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Day of Atonement, the one day a year in the Old Testament where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice for the sins of all God's people. That's a somber day. It's a somber day to remember your guilt, but it's also a joyous day to see that your guilt has been paid for, that the blood offered as a sacrifice has atoned for your sins. And the Feast of Tabernacles, that was a big one. Seven days where you're to live in tents, booths, to remember the wandering in the wilderness, to remember how God brought his people into the promised land, a prescribed one week vacation once a year where you go live in a tent, you're supposed to do it in Jerusalem. God loves celebrations. Now, we live on this side of the cross. So it's important to realize that Jesus, he came and fulfilled many of these prescribed festivals. So my family, we don't celebrate Passover anymore. We don't celebrate Purim. We, we don't do that. Maybe we should, but we, we don't. We celebrate Jesus as the deliverer of his people, as the atoner for our sins, as the first fruits of God. He is our celebration. He is the one that we remember. But don't think for a moment that Jesus forgot about the importance of remembrance and the importance of feasts. In fact, one of the last things he did on this earth was to establish a prescribed feast for his remembrance. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, 
On the night he was betrayed, Thursday night before the cross, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, take of this in remembrance of me. Don't forget me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is saying, when you come together, don't forget me. Don't forget my death. Don't forget my body that's broken for you, my blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't forget that. Celebrate that. Let that be at the center of your gatherings. It's a reminder. It's God just saying, hey, people, hey, you, don't forget what I've done. Don't forget me. You should be ecstatic. But we as people become numb to the things that we should be ecstatic about. So God says, let's put in annual reminders. For us, it's weekly. When we gather together to worship, it's reminders. Hey, God's done some really cool stuff. We have those reminders corporately, meaning as a church body, the taking of communion, we do that together. We'll do it later today, together. But we also need those reminders personally because as a group and as individuals, Jesus came to save us from sin and death, but he came to also save us to a life of holiness and obedience. We're saved from sin and death, liberated, redeemed, incredible news, hallelujah, not more than enough to celebrate, but we also need a reminder, at least I do, and we don't just get a get out of hell free card. We've been called to a life of obedience and holiness. We've been saved for that. And it's hard for me, it's hard for me to take communion, to hold the bread and the cup and not feel the weight of that. Thank you, God. Praise you, God. Bless you, God, for, for sending your son, Jesus, to save me. But there's a weight here. There's a weight of holiness and obedience that, that I feel when I take it. And I think that's exactly what Jesus wants us to remember and why he set this up. Corporately, we do that. But personally, personally, we need to implement ways to celebrate and remember what God has done. We need to tell anyone who will listen how good our God is. Church, I want you to hear this. We need to be willing, able, and constantly talking up God. Reminding not only ourselves, but anyone who will listen how good he is. Do you remember when God did blank? Do you remember when God did this? If you've been coming to Summit for a while, you've heard a lot of my stories. The time when our first son, still in his mama's belly, we get the horrifying news that there's amniotic bands, that he, he's in great danger and we hit our knees and pray and we go to the high risk OB specialist with the super Doppler radar and we get the ultrasound back and next thing they say is, you don't have bands? Who told you you had bands? 
I saw them. I'm not even a doctor. I saw them a week earlier and now they're gone. And I got to tell that doctor, you wanna know why? You wanna know why they're gone? Because my God is really good. And I don't just wanna tell kids stories, but I shared this just a few weeks ago about our son Reed who was born, wasn't breathing. God needed to talk to me and pray to me. And then I got to share the story of how that night he ripped out the tubes and he was good. He was healed. He was saved. Why? Because my God is good. I, get to, I want to tell that story to anyone who'll listen. I know it's difficult sometimes because it's like, well, that maybe isn't how your story played out. For that, I'm truly sorry. But it doesn't change mine. It doesn't change how I want to celebrate what God has done. God saved me from legalism. I got to share that story with my home group just a few weeks ago. It's a powerful story to me of how my heart was so hardened to God because I thought I had to be morally perfect to be his follower. And he saved me from that. And he liberated me from that. I'm eternally thankful to a God who can even take the most hardened and calloused little punk and show him love and grace. I love to tell that story. God gave a glimmer of hope in my absolute darkest hour. Weeping like a baby on the floor of a hospital the night my mom died, I felt like God came and touched me. Now that didn't mean that the next six months were easy, but he was there and I can tell that story. I can celebrate because I remember, I remember that night. That was years and years ago now, but it feels like yesterday. I remember when my God did this, when he protected my wife, while she's having her head cut open. <laughs> to sit in a waiting room, you feel very hopeless, right? But God was there. And her friend used her badge to get back there real quick and got to send this picture. I've never felt more joy to get a picture of my wife smiling minutes after brain surgery. I remember when my God did that. I remember why God did that because there were thousands of people praying for her. It was months later serving hot dogs in a cafeteria line at a bingo night at Fisher Elementary that I introduced myself to a total stranger. After about 15 minutes, he put it together. He goes, I was praying for your wife months ago. How's she doing? How in the world were you praying for her? Huh? I saw a video, I saw someone we were praying for her. That's how my God works. That's what he does. And on and on and on. I never want to forget that. I want to hold on to those moments as gifts. They're like treasure to me. They're what my God's done. I want to remember that. And we need to tell others about what God's done in our life. Because when we do so, several things happen. One, when we tell about God's goodness, it bolsters our own faith and the faith of others. I 
don't know if this is accurate or not, but I feel like I have a gas tank in my soul and it's filled with faith. And when that sucker is full, I'm running on all cylinders. And then there's some bumps in the road from time to time or because of my own lacking, that tank gets a little empty. You wanna know the best way that I've found for that tank to fill back up? Remembering when God did the miraculous in my life or the life of those I love. It's amazing how that needle just starts to peg back towards full. Just thinking back to Bryce or Reed or Paige or just fills it right back up. We need to tell of what God's done because it bolsters our faith. Secondly, it spreads hope. Hey, let me let you in on a little secret, church. This world needs hope. We're trying to manufacture it from all the wrong places. But God is hope. And the more we tell of his goodness, the more hope we can bring to this world. We need to tell what God's done because it moves us and others to pray. We say it all the time, prayer unlocks the power of God. It's not just a saying, it's true. Church, it's true. And maybe just maybe by hearing the stories of how prayer works, it will encourage you to pray more, someone else. We need to tell our story because it tells the world about Jesus in a way that no one can refute. In this day and age, your story is your story. No one gets to say no to that. And finally, we need to tell everyone who will listen about what God's done because it glorifies him. It glorifies him. And that's what I want my life to be about, the glory of God. And one of the best ways we can glorify him is just letting everyone else know how good he is. And it's biblical. It's biblical. Look with me at Psalm 78 verses four through seven. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. We'll tell the next generation of his power and the wonderful things he has done. He decreed statues to Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Why? Because then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but they would keep his commands. As we get close to concluding today, the reason we're to tell anyone who will listen about the praiseworthy and wonderful deeds that God has done is because by doing so, then hopefully, hopefully by the grace of God and by his power and provision, they will know him. And even more than just knowing him, they'll obey him. They'll live their lives for him. Now, I I know not everyone has kids and I know that's not where we're going, but I, I just think about generation after generation. You don't have, they don't have to be your own kids. In both of our campuses, there are children in rooms, not inside of here. They are learning the word of God. 
They're, they're being taught his statutes. Are they also hearing about all of the amazing things he's done? Are we so excited to tell of what God has done that little kids are walking around going, I can't wait to be big where I get to know this God. I, I heard this lady talking, this guy was saying that this, this God seems awesome. Is that what we're doing? When we gather, are we remembering how good God is? Are we worshiping him and telling him, thank you for all that you've done? We're going to do two things in response today. One, we're going to take communion together to remember what Jesus has done for us, what he saved us from and what he saved us to. But then also when you walked in, you got a card. I don't know if you're wondering what that's for. But that card is for you during these next few moments to tell us what God has done. To let it be known just simply by writing out a small story. I remember when God did this. Why? So it'll bolster your faith and maybe the faith of someone else. So it'll spread the hope of God. So the next generation will hear of how good God is. And even those who are not born yet will then be able to know that God is worthy of our praise. And so that in this place today, through your story, through your testimony, God will be glorified. I would love for you to take a moment just to tell us what God has done. And if you're sitting here going, I, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know. I can't, I can't think of anything. Then, then let me just tell you to pause. And there's going to be people that want to pray with you. So, so here's what I'm going to ask. If you can't think of anything to write down, that's fine. What is something you're facing in your life right now that if God intervened and moved in this way, you might be able to fill out a card next week or next month? And would you in faith, in faith, would you come and let someone pray with you for that, for that circumstance, for whatever's going on in your life? One, so that God will move, so that he'll intervene and hopefully deliver, but two, so that soon you'll have a story to tell. You'll be able to tell someone, I remember when God did this. I was at church on March the 3rd and I prayed and he did this. And I didn't even know if I believed at that point, but boy, now I know he is real. And this generation and the next generation and the one that's still to come will be able to know of our great God. Today, I wanna to celebrate who he is. I wanna remember him for all that he's done. And I wanna give him glory in this time and place as we respond to him. Father, thank you so much that you are good, that you're faithful, that you are true to your word and your promise. I pray now that as we celebrate you and what you've done, that you will be glorified, that you will move in the hearts of those who are struggling to see your hand, that you will show out to Lord for your glory and that you will do so for your namesake. It's in the name, the name of Jesus, we ask these things, amen.